We're on a 10-year spiritual journey. This year we're talking about our purpose and asking God to show us our purpose in life. And we have said that the purpose of God for creating all of the world is to make a people for himself. That they might experience his love and the joy of living out his character. And we have said that he has done that by initiating covenants all through history. And we named those covenants and we noticed that each one of those covenants was an element of what is required to build a relationship. What is required for intimacy, whether it's between us and the Lord or us and each other. Remember there was a covenant of hope and the covenant of security and the covenant of chosenness and the covenant of boundaries and the covenant of authority and then there was the new covenant of Christ that makes our whole lives different. That's what, it, what is required for an intimate relationship. Now we're going back through those covenants. And we are kind of delineating one by one how that speaks to our lives practically. And remember two weeks ago, we said that the covenant of hope really speaks to us on behalf of unbelievers. The covenant of hope was made with Adam in the middle of his sin. And so it applies to all people in the middle of their sins. And so when any Christian says, how should I treat an unbeliever? You should always treat that unbeliever as a child of the covenant of hope. That is, as potential family. They are your potential spiritual family. Next we went to the covenant of nature or the security that God shows us his care through his control of nature. And we discovered how important it was for us to avail ourselves of all scientific knowledge we could because God shows us how he cares for us through the laws of nature. And we said, did we not, that it's not just enough to develop your holy side or your spiritual side, that God is sovereign over all the world. And so therefore, you cannot divide it. And he is... Um, we are inextricably bound to who we are in a natural way as well as a spiritual way. Now, before we go any further, I want to spend a little bit of time combating what I believe to be a heresy. Now, a heresy is not an untruth. It's an unbalanced truth. What I believe to be one of the main heresies in this country today and it is, ba- and it, and it is, it is uh, furthered by an unbalanced dependence upon a psychotherapeutic view of culture. A good book to read is a book called Habits of the Heart by Robert Bella. It is an excellent book. It's not written from a Christian perspective, but it certainly is what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the development of an individual as opposed to the development of individualism. God develops individuals, but they are always linked to each other. There is no place in scriptural record that God takes any note of Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no place anywhere in the scripture for God's development of a person for the person. That person is always inextricably bound up with his people, with what he is doing in the world and in the church. Now, as a, uh, the tip of the iceberg, I want to talk about our most intimate relationships this morning, symbolized by the relationship of marriage. 
Let me go back and say, in, in verse 15, look at this. Then the Lord God put man, took man, and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, those are two words that are very, very necessary in our relationship with one another. Not just with nature. Cultivate means to make fruitful, and keep is a Hebrew word with intonations of to protect. When the, when the angel was guarding the, the, the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve got kicked out, the, it was the same Hebrew word. He was protecting the tree of life, okay? So therefore, those are two words that we have to do with one another. Now let's first talk about God's original assignment and how it is necessary if we are to meet our expectations of developing the word for fruitfulness that we need one another. Um, let me read... Let me read a little bit further in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, as he approached his task. I will make him a helper suitable for him. We cannot produce in this world what we need to alone. We can't do it. We weren't made like that. Now before I get too far into this, let me remind you single people that primary relationships are not synonymous with marriage. God can give you primary and supportive relationships and team relationships that are not within your marriage. Uh, let, me, let me read a passage to you that I think is really neat. Ecclesiastes 4. And it shows the necessity for teamwork in maximum production. Verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three... Where did that third one come from? That's the Lord, isn't it? A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's not necessarily talking about just a marriage relationship. That's talking about close relationships. Let me give you one more. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, this is usually read at a wedding ceremony. It's not about marriage. It's about a relationship between two women who were very important to one another. Naomi is trying to convince Ruth, for her own sake, to go back and find a husband. And Ruth is saying, no, your friendship is enough for me. And she says... Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And the Bible said when she, Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. It is important, just as a sidelight, to develop same-sex relationships that are very intimate and are very helpful. It's a horrible thing in this country where if two people are very close, immediately there's some sort of intimation of homosexuality. There is something that the radical feminist front has done in the homosexual lobby to put some sort of damper on intimate relationships and primary relationships between good friends. I hope 
The church never loses that aspect. That is so important. Having said that, let me go on to the apex of what God created on that first uh, stint on earth. Let me go on to the marriage part. And let me say from verse 18 that God saw that Adam needed help. And not just needed help, but a help that completed what he was trying to do. Now, first of all, I want to point out to you here, this has nothing to do with superiority and inferiority. Please don't think that the Bible is saying that a woman is inferior to man because of this passage. A couple of common sense uh, uh, reminders will convince you otherwise. First of all, it is usually not the superior one that needs the help, is it? Mm-mm. Secondly, it is very important to remember that I lost the second point. (laughs) it'll, It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. Anyhow, it's important to remember that the women in marriage are not the ones who are, the, are the, usually the weaker vessel. When the, when the New Testament talks about the weaker vessel, it's not talking about strength. I'd like to see you guys have a baby. It's talking about delicacy and refine, and so on. It's, it's talking about something other than physical strength or emotional stamina. There's a story. I love this story in history. A, Gulub, the, 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 a guy named Gulub in uh, who was the Count of Bismarck, Duke of Bismarck, I'm sorry, was under siege. This is in the Middle Ages. His castle was under siege from the Emperor Conrad. It was very obvious that the Emperor Conrad was going to win. And so the Duke had to capitulate. Well, his lady demanded from the Emperor, from the, from the attacking forces, that she and all of her ladies be given safe journey to a place of safety. And, and this was the days of chivalry. Of course, her request was granted. She, all of her ladies, and whatever they could carry. Of course, her request was going, granted. You should have seen the looks of surprise when those ladies came out of that castle carrying their husbands on their backs. <laughs> I feel like that a lot. I feel like when the world beats me up, my wife carries me around on her back. That's why God gave us to one another. Because we need each other. We need someone who corresponds to us. But I'm going to develop the part about productivity later on. What I want to talk today is about cultivating individual people, not individualism. There's a difference there. I want to say to you that it is our nature to be linked. It is not our nature to be alone. From the very first time, it has been our nature to be linked. Now, now let me show you how this develops. There was not found, the Bible says, a helper suitable for him. All of the animals were paraded before Adam, and he named them, and that name which he called them, that was its name. Now, in Hebrew, this is a picture. The picture is that he not only calls them a name, he calls out to them. Because it also means calls to. Helper in Hebrew is one who answers. 
Therefore, as he called to all of these animals, none of them had the capacity to reciprocate. He was simply looking for reciprocation. So he created, God created, one who would answer Adam. Not answer to, answer. I like what Matthew Henry says. Matthew Henry says that the woman was not made from Adam's head in order to rule over him, nor from his foot to be trampled on by him. She was made from his side to be equal with him, from underneath his arm to be protected, from near his heart to be loved. That's the spirit of this. There is one who answers. Now, you could play with this symbolism all day long if you like. You men could say, look, you can't answer if you're always talking. You've got you to quiet, be quiet for a while. You're supposed to answer. And the woman could say, look, I can't answer you if you never talk. You know, you've got to initiate something here. You can play with it all day long, and I'm sure you will. <laughs> but I want, to, I want to give you the essence of this, and that was that God was not only not through with creation of the world, he was not through with the creation of Adam. You understand? He was not through with the creation of Adam. All of us have built into us a need for human reciprocation before we can develop fully. You remember the courses in Psych 101. You remember the observations after World War II where there were uh, huge numbers of babies in in uh, uh, orphanages because of the death rate in the war and not all of them could receive equal attention or equal attention from people. And the ones who were just fed and, and kept safe and changed their diaper and kept clean and safe developed differently from those who were not only fed and changed but they were cuddled. The ones who were cuddled Developed normally, the ones who were avoided were retarded in their development. We need human reciprocation. You remember the experiments with the rhesus monkeys, where they, where they put some rhesus monkeys into a, a cage that had a surrogate mother, just a towel, and they were kept warm and they were fed, but their development was retarded. They, de they, they developed with a different personality because there was something in them that needed the reciprocation. Needed it. There is, there are experiments. There was a movie made about this. I didn't have the nerve to go see it because it was all rated, but it was, it was about sensory deprivation. For those people who were totally left alone. And what happened was they suffered hallucinations. This, I can remember these experiments in the 50s. They suffered hallucinations. They suffered in their problem solving, so on and so forth. We are physically requiring reciprocation. We are made so that we have someone who will answer us. Now, what was the completion of the creation of Adam? Was not when Eve was made, but when Eve was brought to Adam and he made this exclamation. Which, uh, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
when he proclaimed her identity as a part of him, he completed his own development as an individual. He realized, I am not an individual in a relationship. I have an, a relationship who is a part of my individuality. That is, I am not a part of a relationship. The relationship is a part of me. In Hebrew, when it says, flesh of my flesh, it doesn't just mean sexual union. That's, that's a silly interpretation of that. In Hebrew, there was no differentiation as there was in the Greek of spirit and soul and, you know, emotional and psychological and, and physical and, and all of these break. It was the whole person. And he said, when that woman was brought to him, this is who I am. Now, here's a very important point. When you realize that you are not alone, that as you are in relationships, they are a part of you for the rest of your life, and that you may try to detach, but there will never be a complete separation, that changes who you are and how you've got to how you've got to look at that relationship. Let me give you two examples. First, I heard a story. Jean Camille, who was a, uh, a duke in France, had a wife who he dearly loved. And he proposed to that woman every day of their marriage. And I think that's pretty neat, don't you? 23,000 times this man proposed to that woman. On his knee, nervous, he said, every time. Now that's, that's great. Because there is a man who wants to recoup emotionally and renew that relationship emotionally. However, that is not what union is all about. What union is all about is that union is an established fact. It is our nature. It's wonderful to pay attention to it and to celebrate it and to enjoy it. But it is not something to be recouped every day. It's who we are. Let me tell you an even more appropriate notation. William and Mary Tanner lived a long time ago in New York. One day they were crossing a railroad crossing together, a wooden walk. They used to have wooden walks that went over the rails. She slipped. Her foot got caught. A train was coming. She could not get her foot out. He was trying to help her pull her foot out. As the horrified crowd looked on, it was very evident that the train would not be able to stop in time. And as it squealed its brakes but kept on coming anyhow, she kept yelling, Leave me! Leave me! And he positioned his body between that train and her, trying to protect her as best he could. And he kept shouting, I can't. I can't. That is the Genesis account of what marriage is. I can't. You are too much a part of me. I am not at liberty. There's a change in nature. Ephesians 5 says what? Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. 
There's a change in nature. It's, it's roughly mirrored by 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in, in Christ, he is a what? New creature. God looks on intimate relationships as if we are one, because we are. We are never individuals. We are a conglomerate. And let me tell you this. It goes even further than marriage. It goes even further than close friendship. It goes into history. Look at the last part of this passage. Verse 24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me ask you a question. Where does the word father and mother come from? There aren't any fathers and mothers yet, are they? That's looking forward to history. That's saying how it is going to be. That is saying, I am going to cultivate history. And there will be a cycle of intimacy all down through history. And while the man may leave his father and mother, the father and mother never leave the man. You understand? If you're a parent, you understand that. Turn to uh, 2 Timothy 1, right? Just real quick. Let me read verse 5 to you. Paul saw this in Timothy. He said this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Do you really see yourself as an individual in relationships that are detachable? You've got the wrong picture of who you are. Who we are is, is a conglomerate of those who have loved us and those who love us still. I remember walking to football practice in Shelby, Ohio, and, and I had to pass this one house every day, and it was the, ho it was the house of the town historian, Mrs. Hanno. She knew everybody in that town and had known them for years, had lived there for probably 80 years, and knew everybody and about everybody. And every time I'd pass that house, she'd say, Joey, Joey Hunter, come up here, I want to tell you something. And I'd think, oh, I'm too tired. But, you know, in that day, you respected your elders. If they told you to do something, you went up, you respected, you, okay. So you sit there and you listen respectfully. And she'd say, now let me tell you about your uncle, great uncle Glenn and Z-Bold, the Z-Bold family. And she'd go down to this genial, I, I, I didn't care. <laughs> One day I was passing by, typical, though she was sitting out on the, on the porch, ready to snare anybody she could. Now, she's, Joey, Joey Hunter, come up, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. So I went up, you know, hi, Mrs. Hanno, sat down across from her. And she said, Joey, I never, I never told you this. But I want to tell you something. I never see you, but what I don't think of your father. The way you walk is Bill Hunter. The way I see you hold your shoulders, the way I see you tilt your head, that is your father. Now, my father died when I was four years old. I never really knew my father. But yet, hearing this lady... He continued to live on in me. I was still a conglomerate of someone I had never consciously imitated. We are not individuals. We are not alone. We are those who are a part of us. And let me tell you one more thing before we do communion. This is not a matter of relationship management. I get so sick of people saying to me, well, you got to balance work and you got to balance your family and you got to balance... As if... Our emotions could be categorized as if we could really 
separate from who we are. Now, it's always for a good purpose because people are trying to say, look, pay attention to your family. But what I'm saying to you is that ought not to be needed. That ought not to be needed. When we recognize who our primary relationships are, we need to recognize they are a part of us and they have priority over everything. About three weeks ago, we had a church leadership meeting here. And we invited into that church leadership meeting a church growth expert. He was going to be in the area, so we went halvesies on his on honorarium and fair. And, and this guy, now we have never, those of you who have gone here a while, we have never tried to grow. We just don't try. But we are still in the top 1% of the churches in North America as far as size and growth rate, which says we have no idea what we're doing. None. We just look at it and go, oh, what do we do now? I mean, our whole church life is like the traffic last Sunday. That's how it feels to be here. You just try to respond to what God's doing. So we invited this guy. And this guy's a big honk, you know, big uh, honcho. Honky, I almost said. <laughs> he was a honky, but he was a big, big honcho. <laughs> well... <laughs> He comes in, and we're going to give him the last part of the program. See, the church leadership, the men and the women who, who really uh, lead this church are sitting around at tables, and we go through our, our retreat and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm getting real nervous because my kid has a wrestling match. My middle kid has a wrestling match, at, and I need to leave at, at uh, you know, 1130 or whatever to get there. Well, sure enough, here's this guy. <laughs> He's written the only book in the world on the largest churches in the world, and he, he's the only professor at an endowed church growth chair of a seminary in America. I mean, this guy, is he gets ten minutes into his thing. I said, oh, I'm sorry. My kid has a wrestling match. i got to go. <laughs> you know the neat thing about that? Every person on that leadership team immediately said, see ya. All of them understood. The guy looked a little shocked. But every one of those people understood. You know, to me, that was not a management decision. I was due to be on the mat that day. There was a part of my life that was due to be there. When you get me, you get my family. And if you ever separate us, you got the wrong guy. When I get you, what? I get your family. I can't separate you. Those whom God hath joined together, what? Let not man put asunder. Pray with me. Lord, wipe out from us the insidious idea that we are to develop ourselves as individuals. Wipe out the, the desire to disconnect from others rather than to reconcile. Wipe out the arrogant assumption that you put us here to develop us as individuals rather than to bond with all of your people in something of a teamwork and a family. As we come to your table, to the Lord that died for all of his people, let us be bonded together and let us know that you have loved us together. In Jesus' name, amen.